Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on in Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, who is getting Susan into a light trot. <laughs> and I'm Jacqueline Berto, who's ready to do 65 things next year. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who I'm sure have all been reading Lark Rise to Candlefoot. Anyway, welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. And this week we have 10 caller inners. We hear from Joanna, a first-time caller inner, we think who has some advice on the Montbelliard. Katie, another first-time caller in a who, after other observations, believes that Natasha is awful. Lou, from Australia, another first-time caller in a who wants to talk about sensible sex. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, definitely not a first-time caller in a who is disappointed by how the BBC have decided to celebrate 20,000 episodes. And our Bernadette, who is ranting about parenting in Ambridge. Catherine? A confirmed night owl, she's not the only one who is finding Chelsea totally out of character. Trotting Richard, who has found a quiet spot to discuss the comparative setbacks of Ambridge folk. Lillian, who is wondering where is the old, compassionate Josh. Jennifer, who is yet another new colour in her from stateside. And finally, Glyn, who is back from his holidays in the Rockies. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Witherspoon, and the three Twitter gongs, bronze, silver and gold, from Bernadette. But before Jacqueline and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week with a roundup in The Week in Ambridge from our Suey. Hello, my lovelies. It's Suey here. Time for a quick reminder of The Week in Ambridge. There's been more conversation about Lark Rise to Candleford than everything else put together. Not a day this week when it's not been on the menu. Emma has persuaded Susan to do six things for her 60th birthday, 
including a riding lesson from Lillian. So pleased to hear her dulcet tones on Friday, and Susan didn't fall off once. Pip told Toby about Stella, and he was pretty complimentary about her, after getting a bit of a shock when he worked out she had stayed the night at Rickyard. There were many hours working out who would be providing entertainment at the harvest supper, which put Jimmy's nose out of joint and Kiki was right put out. The stone crows inevitably backed out. Josh was forced to eat humble pie, though many people thought it was David's fault. Now we know where the Lark Rise plot comes in, so that'll be on the entertainment, and they can shut up about it. Clary Love was baking for Britain, or at least have several days' worth of food into the freezer at Will's. The narrative seems to have wandered sideways over who wanted whom to live there and who will be looking after whom. So long as Poppy doesn't end up doing everything, I'm prepared to wait this one out. Eddie bought George a drink. Let's just stop and savour that moment. Shall we ever see its light again? Paul turned down Chelsea's office as a hairdo, probably wise. Mia gave Will a photo frame to record his new adventures. Oh, bless. Chelsea went to visit the piglets. It was all very lovely. Neil admitted, though, that he has been reading the pig bits in that book. Can we get back to normal then, do you think? It was definitely a very odd week again. Until next week, then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Well, Jacqueline, let's get this out of the way. Away. Have you read and do, did you enjoy Luck Rise to Candleford? I was forced to read it for A-level English lit in the mid-late 70s. I didn't enjoy it because I didn't like the teacher. I then reread it about 20 years ago because I emptied my parents' loft uh, of all my school books and came across it. And so I reread it then, but I haven't touched it since. Now, what about you, Stephen? I read it quite some time ago, probably 20, 25 years absolutely loved it. At the time, we were living in a village quite a lot like Ambridge, quite a lot like Larkrise. It was in the corner of Warwickshire that's almost Oxfordshire and almost Gloucestershire. And I just absolutely loved it. I was really disappointed by the BBC adaptation, but I haven't really gone back to it since, though I did discover just now there's a whole chapter about callerinerous, or at least callers, <laughs> as uh, Flora Thompson calls it, and all the people who call in, and apparently there are more of them than might have been expected which sounds just like Dumpty Dum. Absolutely. But anyway, let's get uh, back to the, the, the question. Which is how has your week been? My week has been busy with tomatoes and council meetings. So hey-ho. I've got so many tomatoes. Despite not being here much this summer, apparently tomatoes thrive on being ignored. So uh, there you go. I'm, I've got a freezer full of soup and I'm turning into pat. And also, I'm on tender hook, Stephen, because I'm due to have a grandson in the next now. And they've gone to the maternity in California, and I don't know what's happening. So. Well, you might get a call at any moment during, as we're recording, perhaps. Yes, we can go live with an announcement that I've got a, a boy, but I don't know what his name is going to be or anything. So there we go. When, when he How... said, uh, when he said you had a, a week full of council meetings and tomatoes, I immediately no. put the two together. No, the ha one meeting was a very uh, stressful one about a wind farm, a wind farm that consists of three. Mast. So that's how tense it was. Mm. No rotten tomatoes were thrown. Lots of verbal abuse, though. So there we go. So how was your week, Stephen? Have you been busy? I've been fairly busy at work. This week has started one of the highlights of the year for me, the new series of the British Bake Off. Ah. And this week started with a vertical cake. This is basically a Swiss roll made big and then put on its side so that when you slice into it, you get vertical gaps rather than a horizontal layer of icing. And I always try to either recreate the signature bake or the technical bake for my team at work. 
this week I haven't yet I haven't yet had a chance because I'm I'm going off on a, a trip next week. I'll tell you all about that next week. It's recorded. But I think when I get back from that trip, I'll have a go at a vertical Swiss roll thing. And I'm I'm thinking maybe put some uh, orange zest into the little cake, and then instead of uh, just plain icing, I'll have a layer of passion fruit curd and a layer of mango buttercream. I'll put the whole coat the whole thing in a chocolate and strawberry ganache. So it's my Good plan gracious. for next weekend. Wow, I'm I'm coming over then. That sounds very 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 tasty. But very it's very interesting. So that's probably enough about us. Yeah, probably let's get is. on to. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you lot, our lovely caller in Rose. Hello, Ambridge3962. Now, first up is Joanna, who is calling about something that you posted on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page about a week ago. So could you just explain what you posted before we hear her reaction to it? And then we'll talk about her call. Yeah, well, as you know, um, I live in a very agricultural community and my vets does not just deal with cats and dogs and rabbits. It deals with large animals as well. And so it's quite funny. You, there's a large animal entrance and the uh, small animal entrance so they don't meet. Not that I can imagine anyone taking their cow along to the surgery, but anyway, I suppose they do. But the reception is the same and have a lot of information and a lot of advertising and it's slightly amateurish. And I saw this poster taped to the desk about giving you a boost of some chemical to your cows to give them a bit more energy. It was the day after we'd heard the scene of the weighing in of the sheep and then the talking about the pigs. And so I just thought, oh, well, that's very irrelevant to the archers, all in French. And, but apparently I don't know anything about it at all. I don't know what it is, don't know what the chemical is. And in fact, the whole point of Joanna's call, when I first heard it, I thought, I don't understand what it, I don't understand what that's about. As you said, this is a feed supplement to give new bounce and energy to your cows, and Joanna was not particularly impressed. Hi, this is Johanna from California. On the Mont Yard question. Well, the Mont Yard are probably no different than other cows and ruminants in general in that they love a good scratch, a great dry brush massage, and would likely enjoy a strong-handed, deep-tissue massage from the likes of a spiritual home practitioner. They might even enjoy an aromatherapy session if it were all edible florals and green grass-based scents, and they might benefit from some vermifugal herbs as well. However, while the massages would be thoroughly enjoyed, I would recommend as a better alternative to herbals and aromatherapy to instead let the mobiliards graze and smell and lull in a real floral-filled fresh grassy herby meadow as this would also provide healthy nutritional benefits which might go away towards avoiding those drugs pictured in the illustration on the Dumpty Dum Twitter page. I'd advise against a yoga latte session for the Montbelliards but recommend instead a weekly leisurely stroll up Lakey Hill. I'll add that I find the Montbelliards and their creamy grass-fed milk to be one of the best parts of Bridge Farm and one of Helen's few best ideas. On the other side, is Natasha not the coldest, most disingenuous, and worst addition to Bridge Farm? Poor Fallon, I hope she faces this truth and remembers her own strength and remarkable building of her tea room business, and that she can do this kind of thing again, probably with less effort, a second time around. 
Thank you. Thank you for that, Joanna. Yes, it's true. The Montbeliards, I'm sure, would benefit from all sorts of natural remedies rather than the chemicals. But this was a vet who is there to get money out of everybody, farmers and otherwise. So I apologize if it upset anybody's sensibilities. But hey ho, that's real life in the farming world. Now, Joanna's the first to mention Natasha. I don't think she's got a lot of love this week, has she? No, she, Joanna is not the last one to mention Natasha by a long chalk. I think we can agree that her behaviour has been a bit heavy-handed and I don't think we're the only ones secretly hoping that things will all go terribly wrong. Well, I have a terrible feeling that we actually said that last week as well, so we're going to keep on saying it. But anyway, thank you so much for that call, Joanna. Welcome to, to calling in and please do call again. And particularly if you are concerned about any of the animal practices on the archers as well as in the village of Sanguen. Next up, we have, as we promised, another first time caller, Inra, and this is Katie. Hello, it's Katie here. First time caller, Inra, from South Shields in the northeast. Um, had to break my radio silence and call in about the land of crisps and lark rice to Candleford, otherwise known as the Archers, on two counts, Pip and Stella and their sneakiness. I've got children around Pip's age, and if one of my friends was in a relationship with any of them that became intimate, I would very much expect them to have a conversation with me about that. Um, and even if not, there was some maybe ground in the argument that they wanted to get to know each other better. But then when they went to the ball with her and they knew it was intimate and she didn't, I just thought that was really sneaky and unnecessary. Yeah, and of course Pip's been very sneaky as well with all the stuff around Toby. Just all speaks to poor behaviour across the board, really. And also talking about poor behaviour, Natasha the awful, oh, isn't she absolutely dreadful? It's just dreadful. I mean, she showed a lack of moral integrity, really, didn't she, with the photographs and pushing through with those professional photography snaps with the twins. But this kind of current casual disregard for the cafe and all the work that's been done to date and the snorkiness about it and the railroading straight over it. I hope it doesn't work out for her. I would like to see her get a little bit of comeuppance um, sometime soon. Anyway, thanks for letting me call in um, and I can't wait for all the episode this week to see what happens. Thanks. Thank you so much for calling in, Katie. And as with Joanna, welcome to Dumpty Dum and please do keep calling. On Dup and Stella and telling Rosie, I think we've got another call that's also going to pick up on that. I just think it's, it is a very difficult situation. I don't think that Pip has prepared herself for all the implications of coming out, discovering that she has feelings for another woman, wondering what everybody else is going to think about that. So I do think that she is struggling to find the right way of doing all of this sort of stuff. I also think Stella is being incredibly tolerant of all of that because she did make the point that this is exactly what she didn't want, having been through a really bad situation with the previous woman she was involved with, who then went back to her male partner after all of that. And so I, I think it's very difficult for both of them. What do you think, Jacqueline, about that or indeed about Natasha? Natasha, I think I've already voiced my opinion. It's a very difficult thing because I've got children the same kind of age as, um, as well, but they don't live in the same yard as me. <laughs> they don't live across the road from me. They actually spread around the world. So our communications on WhatsApp and FaceTime and things doesn't mean it doesn't we don't have the same kind of relationship as Ruth and Pip and Stella and Ruth or Pip and Stella have. I find it a bit interfering of Ruth to be so out of sorts with the whole thing. 
And I kind of understand that they didn't want to make it public. But as Katie said, going to the pub when they're in a relationship with Ruth and they're not actually talking about it, that was sneaky. That was a kind of, not maybe not sneaky, but it was a kind of difficult situation. So I'm not, I'm full between two stools really on this one because I think Ruth should back off. And I think, as you say, Stella is just being an absolutely amazing early patient woman. Yeah, I, I totally agree about the, the pub thing. I think they should have found a way of handling that better. I think either they should have gone to Ruth and explained things before they went to the pub or found a way of not going to the pub at all. Because going there effectively in sort of lying situation, as it were, lying by omission yeah. about the nature of the relationship between them was, I think, very unfair and all concerned. So that was done, even though, as I said, I can understand why they were finding it difficult. I think they, they needed to do something to, to avoid that particularly awkward situation. Just before we move on, Katie's calling from South Shields. Mm. Now, South Shields has a very important connection to British biscuits. Really? Yes. The One of the most popular British biscuits is the Garibaldi biscuit, and that was named after Garibaldi, who was the Italian, the great unifier of Italy. And he was immensely popular in Britain. And that was following a visit he made to England. And the place he chose to visit was South Shields. We want to hear from our third new caller in of the week. And that is Lou from Australia. Hi there, Lou calling from Melbourne, Australia. First time calling in and I wanted to discuss something that happened a couple of weeks ago. At the time I wanted to call in but I ran out of time and I assumed you would be absolutely inundated with calls on this topic. And now I've discovered that no one is talking about it and I may be the only one in the world with this theory but I have to share it. Now, a few weeks ago, we were exploring the new relationship between Brad and Mia. There was an episode where they were talking about sleeping together and how I believe Mia used the term how responsible they were in terms of contraception. Now, I know that Mia has some really alternative or countercultural views and perspectives. I was wondering if that will extend to contraception and perhaps whatever measures they have put in place won't go to plan. Also, it seems no one in Ambridge has sex without falling pregnant. That's just an observation that I've garnered. So perhaps there's another unplanned pregnancy on its way for Ambridge. I know we explored that with Chelsea not long ago, but I thought this could have a different outcome. And I know that people are really invested in the Brad-Mia relationship. Perhaps this could strengthen the relationship. That's my two cents worth. And I would be interested to hear if other people have a similar theory. All right, signing off now from a beautiful, sunny Melbourne. Bye. Thank you for calling in, Lou. Brilliant to have yet another new caller in and from Australia. Great. I know we do have some other listeners in Australia already, so maybe you can have a meet-up sometime and let us know all about it. Sex and pregnancy and responsibility. I don't think that Mia and Brad would be irresponsible. I think it's going to be belts and braces that they're using to make sure that they're they're safe and don't, there isn't another unwanted pregnancy. Although there might be another pregnancy in that Toby and Pip had a little fling, didn't they? And so you never know. She was glowing in the pub. We heard, so yes, there have been speculation about that Toby and Pip 
not quite makeup sex, but sort of testing, testing. Kind of sex, <laughs> uh, and whether that would result in pregnancy. I agree with you. I, I think that uh, Mia, she has some fairly strong views on environmental matters and so forth, but I think that she does come from a much more science-based background. So I think that she would have approached the question of contraception using fairly standard approaches. I think if anybody was going to use alternative approaches to contraception, it would have been Kate. And probably now, did. Now, Stephen, I just want to ask you, but what about Lou's point about the fact that sex outside of marriage always results in a pregnancy? And is that what she So I, I've been looking into this, and I think it does happen, but it doesn't happen every single time. The difficult thing here is that if you have an instance of two people having sex and the woman ends up pregnant, you can point to that and say, it's okay, so it's happening. The question is, what do you count when they don't get pregnant? Who do you count? What sort of relationship? So I've identified about 20 cases that I think might be legitimately compared with each other to see how many get pregnant. So this goes all the way back to Jennifer and Paddy Redmond. And of course, they were had, a I think, what was intended as a casual relationship. Jennifer got pregnant. The result was Adam. Shula famously had sex with Simon Parker in a cornfield near Netherbourne. Didn't get pregnant. Into the 70s, again, Neil and Susan in a relationship, which was, I think, in its fairly early stages, and Susan ended up pregnant. The result was Emma, and they got married as a result. Elizabeth, quite a few cases here. She had a re- was in a relationship with Cameron Fraser and got oh, yeah. pregnant, but she thought it was a serious long-term relationship. She wanted to marry him. So does that really count as unintentional pregnancy? It may have been intentional on her side. She also had a, a fling with Robin Fairbrother, didn't get pregnant, usefully. She had a fling with Roy, didn't get pregnant. Roy, on the other hand, had a fling with Kate, and Kate did get pregnant, and the result of that was Phoebe. Then there's Brian. Obviously, Brian and Siobhan is the one that we all know about, and that's where Brian and where Siobhan did get pregnant. But Brian also had an affair with Caroline. She didn't get pregnant. And with famously with Mandy Beesborough, who didn't get pregnant. There's that. Bridge farm archers, so John and Sharon. We only discovered a long time after that that, in fact, that John had got Sharon pregnant, and that, I'm sure, was unintentional. Tom didn't get Bre- Brenda pregnant at any point. He did get Kirsty pregnant, and that was the Wren situation, and that was not, I think, intentional. Who else did we have? Pip, obviously, so Pip and Toby, classic case. But Pip and Jude, nothing went wrong there. Pip and Spencer, nothing went wrong there. And then Ben and Chelsea, of course. What about Chris and Amy? Didn't get yeah. pregnant. What Lily and Russ? Now, obviously, they moved into a long-term relationship, but to begin with, it was exactly the sort of thing where you might expect that to happen, and yeah. it didn't. And of course, Lily also had that fling with the other the person whose name escapes me from the yeah. felt from kitchens, and that didn't result in her getting pregnant. So, out of that's twenty cases, nine pregnancies, eleven non-pregnancies, so fifty-fifty. Well, Lou, you've obviously got Stephen's grey cells. Working well. We need more questions like that. And a reaction to those statistics would be interesting. Thank you, Lou. Next up, we have Jen, Ambridge Pony Club. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. Jen here, just calling in, frankly, to vent on Lark Rise to Candleford. I'm pretty tolerant. I like a bit of extra archers. They have wonderful actors. It's always nice when we get a little calendar girls or, you know, even that weird kind of mystery thing was all right in the end. Fair enough. To celebrate 20,000 episodes, this thing, as we hardcore fans know, has a rich and wonderful history. 
it has a gazillion loose ends flapping in the breeze that we would love more information on. It has characters we've known for many years who've gone. We have people like Kathy. We have people like Jamie. We have the wonderful Cameron Fraser. So many things they could have done to celebrate 20,000 episodes. History of the Archers, bringing back old characters, giving news of old characters, celebration of Peggy because she's not dead in the program yet, I don't think, and goodness knows she deserves a bit more celebration. Jill, likewise. This thing has world records. It has world record for longest running soap. It has the longest serving actors. So much to be done. But no, we're going to do a bloody autobiography from the late 19th of some vaguely parallel thing in North Oxfordshire. Oh, I know this was written by the cast and cast are all enthusiastic to get a bit more wages out of it, but no, enough. No more Lark Rise for Candleford. And if it's anything like the TV series, it'll be ghastly anyway. Thank you for that call, Jen. I don't think it's going to be ghastly because it's, I think, going to stick much more closely to be a reading from the book rather than a dramatisation which has to introduce characters who are major players in the book and drag it on and on and on. I don't, as I said before, I really like Lark Rise to Candleford. I think the whole setup and the let's have a candlelit reading at the Harvest Supper is a bit contrived, but I'm not as against it as I know a lot of people are. And so I'm going to defend it slightly. And as I said, there's a whole chapter on court calling in. So I, th I think that as Dumpty Dum, we ought to be a bit more supportive. For those people who like the idea of a, of a fiction set in a cultural background, particularly at, at the beginning of the 20th century, but don't want to read Love Price Canterford, I would strongly put in a plug here for Tim Pierce's West Country trilogy, which I think starts with The Horse Rider and then goes on to The Wanderers and The Redeemed. And that is an excellent trilogy and it's full of farming detail. There's a fantastic description of harvesting a field and how the whole village gathers around the edge of the field because as they go, they harvest it with scythes from the outside to the middle and all the animals, the rabbits and so forth that were in the field are effectively trapped in the rapidly diminishing stand of corn as the scythes close in on the middle. And at the very end, they start rushing out across the already cut part of the field and the villager there with bags and dogs and so forth to catch all the rabbits as they run out from the field to add to the pot. And it's full of detail like that. I really enjoyed that. Anyway, over to you, Jack. <laughs> That's very interesting. Now, Jen is a very creative woman. And a few years ago, and she's also very active on our Twitter. And on the Twitter, we had a bake-along, bake-off thing which you might have, you've obviously missed, Stephen, because you didn't take part. But Jen, myself and a couple of other people all tried to recreate the cake of the, the week, the signature thing or something on our theme, a theme. So you have to see if Jen can join you in making horizontal, no, tickle cakes. As far as Luck Rise to Candleford is concerned, I quite enjoy the way in which they've made it relevant to uh, Ambridge. They've given Emma a good enthusiastic line in it because she can be very dour and very down and very negative and I like the fact that she's been enthused by it. I've also liked the fact that they've talked about agricultural practices because for me from reading that book when I was doing my A-levels, the pig and the killing of the pig scene was very relevant because that still went on in my hometown at that time. My grandparents had a pig and it was only a few years before when we were in, we went to help with the killing of the pig. So for me, even then, although it was a hundred years before I was reading the book, it was relevant. And it still goes on here now. People still do slaughter their own animals in their own places. We would say France is at least 15 years behind the UK. We haven't even got threads yet. Thank you for that call, Jen. And yes, the archers could have done 
more on the history of the archers, but if you want the history of the archers, Dumpty Dum is the place to be. Next up is Bernadette. Bernadette Hawkes here, Archers Fan 2015. Warning, this is a rant. FFS, what is wrong with Ambridge parents? The latest example of overcaring came from Ruth. She has been prurient and intrusive with regard to the stick relationship. Reminder for those who don't know it or need it, Pip has been allowed to escape to Rickyard Cottage just across the yard from Bookfield Farmhouse. I know she did manage to go to farming college elsewhere, but still. Now, on Tuesday and Wednesday, we have had to endure stratospheric levels of anxiety about George moving to number one, the green. He's moving a few yards away. Slight exaggeration. Not out of Anchorage. Removal van, indeed. <laughs> He's not going to Felsham, or worse yet, Borchester. Parents of Ambridge, let your children grow up and move far away if they want to and don't interfere in their relationships. Rant over. Thank you for that, Benedict. It's quite funny that our two very loyal listeners who are both very active on uh, Twitter have both sent in rants this week. Maybe Twitter's bad for your health. Oh, sorry, X is bad for your health, you two. Now, parenting in Ambridge. There have been lots of things about parents this week, and I agree, we already talked about Ruth and her interference in Pip's relationship or her umbrage at Pip and Stella's relationship. But we heard a lot from, quite a bit, from Emma and Susan this week, a mother and a daughter. And they were talking about Susan rather than about Emma, whereas Emma managed to share her concern about George at the same time. And I thought those were, that was a lovely scene with Emma and her mum trying to decide, Emma trying, wanting her to celebrate being 60 and her, Susan wanted to ignore it. And coming up with a six for 60, was a, I think it was a great, great conversation and a really interesting turn in their relationship, which seems to be a bit snappy at times. And the other parenting scene that I saw that we saw this week was um, Will, stepfather to Mia. And it was Mia taking care of Will. And I have to say that scene with the photo frame was actually, I found it quite moving, but I'm a softie anyway. So uh, there we go. How have you found parents in Ambridge this week, Stephen? I have to say that uh, neither Emma nor Susan are on my list of characters I particularly like, but then that's a very short list, to be honest. And I thought that that was showing a slightly warmer side to that relationship. Usually it's the two of them moaning about somebody else that yeah. we hear. So having them engaging with each other and Susan literally getting back in the saddle after the debacle over the mysteries where she was supposed to come in on a horse and that all went rather yeah. badly wrong. But of course, the Darrington horse went even more badly wrong, Indeed. as we remember. So yes, th th those were good scenes and, and were nice and warm. And I too, I am a big fan of Mia and even if I'm not really of Will, and I thought Mia's upward parenting was yeah. and very much in keeping with the character of Mia as we are getting to know her and her really caring sides. It makes sense that if you care strongly about the environment and the world, the way the world is, you also want to care about the people in that world and the two are complementary rather than in conflict with each other. Indeed, the whole young people, bringing in young people and younger people's storylines has been developed this year. And I feel that the bringing in of Mia along with Brad in contrast to George and now, although Josh is slightly older than them, the character changes we've seen in the emotional turmoil, which is Josh this week, 
I think it's been quite curious. And, and in fact, those youngest people's storylines are definitely growing on me as they get more meat on onto the bones of the basics, the basis of what they are. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. This time next year, we'll be singing all their praises. Yeah, there's a long history of people complaining whenever they introduce a new bunch of young characters in, mm. whether it was the young ones we've got now or when they introduced the early days of Helen and Alice and Will Grundy when they were finding the letters from Con to Peggy that were yeah. abandoned in Blossom Hill Cottage when it was empty. And I think there was a lot of complaints about all these new characters coming in. But I think that goes all the way back to the 60s and the 50s when there was Bull was setting up its milk bar for the teenagers and we had yeah. skiffle music and things like that. So I, I think every time a new generation is launched onto the scene, people complain that there are too many young people going in. Yeah, anyway, interesting. thank you for that call, Bernadette, and we will be hearing more from Bernadette later. So those are the first five calls. There are absolutely brilliant ones coming up, so do hold on for those. And if you would like to contribute yourselves to all this fun, you'll be very welcome. Three ways you can get involved. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpike.com forward slash dumtdum. Don't forget that T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810 You have to add a plus four four to and remove that first zero if you're calling in from outside of the UK. Please keep your call to a minimum of two minutes. Or finally, you can email us. Now, we have a new email address that you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. A maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumtdum at mail.com. Please bear in mind that you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. And don't worry about trying to write all that down now, as we have provided links to those three ways of contributing in the show notes. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Let's get back to our calls, and next up is Catherine. Hi, it's Catherine. I'm listening in the middle of the night again, and I just can't get over that Chelsea has been given this ridiculous storyline. She is supposed to be, A, excited about Lark Rise to Candleford. I mean, look at the age of her. What is she, 18, 19? And she's so excited by this book. 
Firstly, slightly implausible. Secondly, on a Friday night, she is thrilled about arranging a night in with all the local people sitting reading this said book and having a snack and a drink. And it's just going to be brilliant. I mean, come on. Everything we know about Chelsea is this is not something that she would be excited by. Why are they totally changing her character? It's like they're doing a George on her, making her from the fun-loving, irreverent, slightly naughty young woman that she was to this slightly, well, very dull pillar of the community type who wants to stay in on a Friday night reading a book with retired people. It's just not on. It's far more like what's the face the eco woman would do than Chelsea. Bring back fun Chelsea. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much for that call, Catherine. I think the eco woman you have in mind is Mia. I was thinking that, that actually the person that would really work in, in this role, and I totally agree with you that Chelsea is implausible in this, it's Ben. This is exactly mm. the sort of thing that Ben might want to do. He might have suggested doing it at the laurels, but obviously doing it in the candlelight at the barn and so forth gives you more atmosphere. But it does seem much more something that he would do rather than Chelsea, who is, as you say, not like that. She has all her mates at school. If you remember from that awful, awkward sort of date she had with Jake when they went to the cinema together and then she spent the entire time afterwards texting and chatting to her friends. That's the sort of woman Chelsea is and absolutely sitting around trying to cheer up Jim by reading bits of luck Rise to Candleford. Yeah, but she does care for Jim and she's got a good relationship with him. I'm a Jim fan, so I can see that she would want to cheer him up. But yeah, I'm a bit with both of you that it's not really very plausible. It's interesting. I thought the eco woman she was talking about was Kirsty. So there you are. You have to find those names, Catherine. But I do absolutely understand the problem of making calls and doing things in the middle of the night. Next up is Richard, who's not calling from Lisbon this time. Hi, Richard calling in from Krakow, hopefully in a quieter environment, no Warsaw Transit or Lisbon Transit. But dumpty dum listeners today, last time I called in about how setback can be the making of people and was reflecting on Freddie's apparent willingness to engage with Vince's business in a way he wasn't before. Can't help feeling that it's not going to last, but at least he's trying. So many other people have had setbacks. George seems to be making some progress as a person, something I never thought I'd observe. Of course, Brad is doing extremely well after his brush with the law. It's just an interesting filter for Ambridge, how many people are improved by a downturn or a major setback. I think Helen is an example of someone who's yet to start heading up as she heads down. I, on, on that topic, it's just a way of looking at the village. I think that Natasha's due for a step back with her horrible tea room makeover project. And I'm looking forward to her setback and eventual recovery because I'm a nice person, really. Talking of setbacks, I think in my experience, having run many community sing-alongs, that Jim's idea of fun is much, much more inclusive and likely to be successful than what's actually being planned. And I feel very sorry for him and regretful that we can all join in with a, maybe a mass sing-along over the air. Bye. Thank you, Richard. Yes, much better sound this week. Sorry we couldn't play your call last week. Now, Natasha again. Yes, is she redeemable? 
because they didn't remember she was actually thinking about looking at moving away their whole business from Bridge Farm three weeks ago. I think she's very on very dead ground with me at the moment. Now, Helen, that's an interesting reference because I think Helen has pulled herself up after the time with Rob. We've actually been privy to her meeting, pulling away from and then going back to poor Lee. I don't know about Helen really as a making good now. I don't trust George. You seem to think you see him in a better light this week. I still he lied, didn't he? He lied at the beginning of the week when he ta- started saying that when you asked me to live with you, Will, or when my dad asked me to live with him. It was him that that really forced William, maybe not forced, but he persuaded him into the situation, getting rid of Hannah. And we did hear where Hannah has gone at the moment, didn't we? She's sleeping on a sofa. But that's a kind of storyline that needs to be followed through because it's a crisis in public housing in, in the countryside, we know. But she can't go on living in, on somebody's sofa and working at a pig farm. No, I think you're right. I don't believe George's sudden change into wanting to be grown up and responsible and feeling regretful about his behaviour is at all plausible. I don't think we've heard the end of it. I certainly think that the Hannah loose end is going to get tied up at some point, if not next week or the week after, I think fairly soon. And I think that that it was George wanting to move there to force Hannah out rather than because he really wanted to live with Will become apparent, I suspect that things will not go well. Fear that the person who will be impacted most by that will be Poppy, with Will perhaps expecting George to look after Poppy and George just being totally irresponsible because that's the kind of little scrote that he is. Mm, yes, I agree. Now, so we've talked about the what's these end of stories that we're not quite hearing, the Hannah storyline. I think somebody else asks later on about where is Rory. That'd be quite an interesting one to follow through with as well. Yes, that's coming up in a couple of calls time, I believe. Let's move on to Lillian. Hi, everybody, and um, Tidham Lout, and hi, Jasleen, and Stephen. I've done that the wrong way around. The project said hi to the host first, then hi to everybody. So apologies about that. It's Lillian in Middlesbrough here, just calling in, and I wanted to say I'm really cross with Josh this week. He would be at the absolute top of my set list this week. He's just behaved absolutely appallingly. I want the old compassionate Josh back, please. The one who was so lovely to Ben and so supportive. It's just about a type, hasn't he? Just so entitled and self-centred. He was horrible to Jim. Absolutely horrible. And I haven't listened to Thursday night's episode yet because I was out. But I'm really glad the straw crows are bailed on him because it's just as much as he deserved. Anyway, that is my two penny worth. So I look forward to hearing the podcast when it comes out and speak to everyone soon. Bye for now. Thank you, Lillian, for that call. Yes, Josh was pretty awful in the first part of the week. I think he will claim that it wasn't his fault that Jim got invited to do it, but I think that he handled the situation pretty badly. To his credit, and I I don't want to give him too much credit, he was sufficiently remorseful that when he went crawling on his hands and knees to Jim to ask for Jim to play, after all, he was willing to do that himself. He was fronting up, I think, open and honest and doing all the sort of things that I think that you're encouraged in that sort of situation to do. And he drove Jim to see Kiki. He drove Jim to the village for the Lark Rise thing. And then we had, at the end of Friday's episode, 
sort of magical moment of redemption and it's all going to be fine because instead of having straw crows, instead of having Jim and Kiki doing their piano stuff, they're going to get a candlelit reading of Rise to Candle. And that was how we ended the week. I was struck by the fact that we had a lot of calls this week. None of them came in after Friday's episode. (laughs) So I'm not quite sure how Friday's episode went down with Dumpty Dummers. Uh, It'll be interesting to see either in the Facebook group or if anybody calls in next week by when we'll have had the first episode of the Cries thing on the radio, which is being broadcast on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I'm still worrying about those candles in the barn. I'm also worried about these, all these old people in the village eating their harvest supper in a candle-lit room. I'm sorry, but as the older I get, the more light I need when I'm eating. Candles in a barn and eating in the dark, it doesn't sound like my kind of thing at all. But I wouldn't have minded a sing-along to the piano. So I'm sure Lillian I, would have enjoyed that too. I think they might have the lights on during the meal and then turn them off, just have the candles for the... Oh, good. You've reassured me, Stephen. Afterwards. But of course, Brookfield has had one barn burned down in the past by Keith Horrible. Yeah. And it's not the only place to have burned down in the village. Another Clive down the police house, which led to Green Acres. And of course, memorably, there was a fire which wasn't arson in the stables at Great Gables yeah. in 1955 that we all remember so well. Yeah. If not, even if we weren't there personally, Stephen. And now for another first-time caller in a and this is somebody calling in from a bit of an awkward situation. Hello, dum dum This is Jennifer calling from Brooklyn, New York, which is actually completely flooding right now as I call on Friday afternoon. I just wanted to note that while it is interesting how little class mobility there is in Ambridge, I thought Susan was an example of someone from Ambridge who was raised poor and then was able to become middle class when she was able to buy her public housing. I have only been listening to the Archers, well, for quite a while, like 15 years, but I don't think I was listening when this was part of the story. So I wanted to point that out and maybe fact check. Is this true, everybody? Also, I'm very happy for Pippin Stella. It's made me much more interested in this show that I've always been super excited about since I found out about it. But I like this Pip voice for what she's going through now. When the new actor for Pip began, I thought she sounded too old. Even though I didn't like Pip's character, I thought the actor went very well with her whininess and her just being a teenager. But this voice, I think, works well with a 30-year-old lesbian. That's all I got. I hope everyone's doing very good. And, and also, actually, I'm curious what's going when. I've been thinking about Rory lately. Is he all right? Okay. I hope everyone's higher and drier than I am right now. Take care. Oh, Jennifer, thank you very much for calling in. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear about all those floods, exceptional weather conditions. And we hope all our friends of Dum De Dum who are in the lower west east side or anywhere else in Brooklyn or on Manhattan are kept safe and dry and are not suffering from too many terrible inconveniences. Now, Pip, I am not a fan. And the main reason is, for exactly as Jennifer said, she had a kind of whiny way of talking, as well as her character and her kind of use of her parents and her reactions with her brothers. No, I don't like Pip at all. But I too, I'm enjoying Pip in this kind of giddy giggly phase that she's going through. I actually thoroughly enjoyed the scene on, was it on Friday when they were admiring, Stella and her were admiring the drill, which is 
finally seeing action. I just thoroughly enjoyed that scene. It was a joyful uh, scene, a joyful relationship, uh, a view into their relationship. And even Stella even enjoyed a picnic and made a picnic. So picnics are us at the moment in Umbridge. I agree. Where is Rory? How can we have a character that we had such a strong storyline around that you don't know anything about him? I'm going to confess I'm not particularly missing Rory. I really do not like Rory. I'm not <laughs> a, I wouldn't say that Pip is one of my favourite characters, but there are a lot of people that I dislike more than I dislike Pip, and Rory, I'm afraid, is one of them. He really was utterly obnoxious during the whole of that sugar baby phase that he went through. And he was brought up with all kinds of privilege and so forth. And I don't really mind what happens to him. I want to go back to Jennifer's point about social mobility. Now, she talked about Susan, who, yes, was absolutely born in a very poor family. She was a horribin at birth. The way that she got out of that was really, though, by marrying Neil more than anything else. And Ambridge View, which is where they live, was something Neil built. It was a self-build project that he did mostly with Mike Tucker. And that's how they've got a house of the size and quality that they've got, because they put in an awful lot of hard physical labour to get there. I don't think that they bought out social housing. Of course, her sister Tracy is still living in social housing. Will did buy number one, the green. And so he's what somebody who has moved from being the bottom of the heap as a Grundy into being almost landlord class. I don't think either of them, Susan or Will, have really made progress up the social ladder. And I do think that it does remain the case that there are very few people in Ambridge who really have made a success. You've got, arguably, Elizabeth marrying into the landed gentry. But again, that was by marriage. The archers, the Brookfield archers, have taken about three generations to move from the tenant of 100 acres through to the farmer owner of 450 acres. That was mostly a combination of Dan and Phil, with David not really doing very much more than Phil had done. But that's over two generations, I I think. And it's from tenant farmer through to landowning farmer. Mm. These aren't huge moves, just as moving from being a horribin to being married to a managerial agricultural worker like Neil, again, not a huge step up. Nobody has made it into the big business owning classes into any sort of public role. I beg to differ because what about Elizabeth? Yes, as I said, she's gone from being a farmer's daughter of a land owning farmer to being married into the gentry, not the aristocracy quite. Mm. But yes, it's a step up, but it's by marriage again. And I I just think. Not the self made person. We're not seeing anybody who who is in a higher social, at a higher social level because they have worked their way up to it or have found a way up to it other than by marrying into it. So I think it remains a bit of an issue within Ambridge. Very good. And now for our final call, which is from Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here. I just returned from holiday in the southwest USA, where if there is a good cup of tea to be found, we didn't find it. And to be frank, the coffee wasn't up to much either. I have listened, I think, to 11 episodes of The Archers since returning in two short bursts or in two bursts, which is a very good way of getting through a lot of angst in a short period of time. Focusing on the most recent five or this week's episodes that I've heard, they do feel rather like they've been an extended advertisement for the Lark Rise to Ambridge program. I suspect we are going to find that the Harvest Supper Entertainment is a village reading of said book, but that's enough of that. I've had enough of it already. The other question that's raised in my mind is, what is the point of Josh Archer? Where is his story going to go? 
assuming that Pip and Stella do eventually take on the farm, what is there in Ambridge for John? He seems to just have his egg business, if I remember rightly now. And why is he still hanging around? Well, I hope we find out in due course. The other character that's caught my attention this week is Eddie Grundy. I'm not Eddie's biggest, biggest fan, as people who listen to this podcast will know, but I thought he dealt very sensitively with both Will and Clary this week, which just proves that the Archers deals in rounded characters, not stereotypes. Thank you to the hosts of the podcast and speak to you again soon. Bye. Thank you for that call, Glyn. And yes, on Eddie, not only was he more rounded, but we actually heard him buy a round of drinks, yeah. which is quite a development. I think the point about Josh is a good one, but I think that it just highlights the still unresolved issues of succession Brookfield. in the various farms. I think we are now beginning to believe the future of Brookfield will be with Pip and, and possibly Pip and Stella as a couple, and that they will take on the farming of that when David and Ruth finally retire. Bridge Farm nominally has been handed over to the new generation, but it's an equal partnership between Tom and Helen. And I think there's an awful lot of tension there mm. because if they disagree over stuff, there's no real way of resolving that. And then the biggest question mark of all is over the biggest farm of all, home farm, 1,500 and something acres, and no obvious indication of who is going to take over the farming. There is Adam who is competent at farming, that seems, we've been through that so many times, it does seem a bit unlikely. There's Debbie, but pretty sure she doesn't want to come back from Hungary. Kate has been leaning in to help out at Home Farm, not with great positive results. I think that Stella is sick to the back teeth of her involvement. Alice, no interest whatsoever in the farming. Her future lies very much, I think, with the stables. Which leaves, of course, Rory. But I don't think Rory is particularly interested in that. I think that Rory has probably had enough of Ambridge, even if he's been chastened by his... I don't see him coming back as the farmer, though I can imagine Brian doing all he can to try and persuade him that. And I think that's the next big story with Rory is going to be Brian trying to persuade him to become a farmer, pointing to his great idea of, for instance, getting rid of the sheep at home farm and putting the land over to Brookfield sheep to graze on, which has so many advantages for home farm in terms of soil quality and all the costs and risks are borne elsewhere. So that was smart thinking by Rory. I think that Josh is a bit of a question mark. What's Josh going to do? What's Ben going to do? I, I, I think that those are the big questions for the next decade or so to, mm. to work through, which is why the strength of the arches is that we have these big issues, which will. I've talked for far too long. Jeff, what do you think? <laughs> All I would say is, yes, I agree with Glyn that actually the rounded characters, I know we get a lot of people that, and a lot of characters. I agree with Glyn about rounded characters and how well they're written in the arches because. Eddie is a character that we can love to hate a lot of the time. But talking to Chelsea in the pub this week about the pigs and the book and bigging up Neil and Jazza, I thought that was a really good side and showing slightly caring and connected to people. And as you say, shockingly, he even gave Emma a tip. So those are all the calls. Thank you so much for calling in. We love hearing from you. Please call again next week if you called this week. And even more, if you didn't call this week, do call us and tell us what you think. The whole point of this podcast is to talk about what you're thinking about the Archers. Did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week? I don't think we received any WhatsApp messages. We received a couple of emails, but they weren't about the Archers, so I haven't included them. 
uh, because they were about people offering us support and help. And so I can only say thank you very much. There are times when Stephen and I are overwhelmed with work life, family life and traveling, both of us. We will be taking people upon uh, offers of help. So thank you very much, everyone who's offered. Yes, thank you. Now let's move on to Facebook. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the new arrivals in the Dumpty Dump Facebook group. And they are... Philip Goodfellow, Emily Alice, Jane Fargin, Paul Featonby. Dawn Timms, Isabel Wetherill-Walker, Jennifer Harris-Hernandez, who we just heard from, and I do hope that the flooding has receded and that nobody's been blocking any culverts in Brooklyn, and Ian Bennett. So what's our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out as we sit back for the roundup with our Witherspoon. Greetings, Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Agus here with this week's social media roundup. The week began on Sunday with another episode of As the World Turns, Pip and Stella edition. That's a reference to the famous American television soap opera. Are they a lovey-dovey couple or are they a mismatched pair? Choose a day and you'll have a different answer. Sarah Ferguson suggested to Stella, there are 50 ways to leave your lover. Pick one and run. Nicholas Natsua chimed in, she's been with a fella, Stella. But Jonah Titchmarch feels that Stella should better understand what Pip is going through and to stop acting so passive-aggressively. Speaking of acting passive-aggressively, Chris Gibson, Pam DeLay, Julia Delwich, and others did not understand how Stella could abandon a perfectly good brunch she prepared. But a lot of Dumpty Demers, including Lillian McCarthy and Philippa Jill Manessa, are just bored with Stip and their daily angst. And then on Monday, Stella apologized, and Bob's your uncle, Stip was back on course. Dumpty Demers were so exhausted by it all that they had little to say about it. Rob Williams did note that it's a lot for Stella to take on, both a child and Toby. Well, really, that's two children. Some turned their attention to Clary, Eddie, Will, and Georgie. Caroline Perch thought the line of the week was uttered by Clary. When Eddie said that George reminds him of himself, Clary retorted, he's not that useless. And what about Josh? Frankly, I've never been a fan of his. Always trying to get out of work, always complaining about others. Occasionally, he shows compassion to Ben. Helen Blackburn pointed out how obnoxious he has been. Sarah Passingham, Lila Toff, Al Williams, Ruth Pearl, Lillian McCarthy, Chris Williams, and many others agreed. Chris had a great line. I'd rather listen to a buddy comedy with George and Rob than endure one more moment of Josh Archer. Al Williams added, quoting Jim, no match for your rotten crows. I love it. Well said, Jim. Josh is out of order. Terry White disagreed. He's team Josh. And of course, Bob's your uncle. By the end of Thursday, we learned that Josh was eating some crow of his own as the straw crows flew the coop. Chris Gibson asked, if we all just threw our heads back and laughed when the band canceled. Dumpty Dummers everywhere agreed, and Emma Jen Jenkinson admitted that a little bit of we came out. Please note that I have not mentioned Lark Rise to Candleford once. I will end on a more serious note as I read Heidi Griffith's post. Have you ever had those surreal moments where you've listened to something and thought that was so apt personally? How did that happen? I had one tonight. Monday will mark two years since I suddenly and totally unexpectedly lost my kind, 
funny, brilliant husband. A bit like when Will lost his nick. Tomorrow I go away on a break that I want to be the dawn of chapter two in my life. I thought Mia's gift and comments to Will was so perfect that I had to listen to it twice. For moments like that, I'll quite happily put up with all the silliness. I will let that be the last word today. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Witherspoon. That was great. And thanks to everybody on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. And if you'd like to join them, please do. But please don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. If you don't answer those questions, I'm afraid we will just turn down the membership application. Absolutely. And it's a constant theme of ours. And one of the other things you can do to help us on the cast is to leave us a review. Best left in Apple podcasts but i think there are other places you can leave them we can pick them up from around about we do like five star reviews but i don't think we're really supposed to say that out loud yes if, if you're, you don't use apple podcasts then which is the best for getting us the charts spotify and overcast are other services which have reviews please do leave us a review now let's move on to twitter where you will find us at dumpty dum and make sure you include the archers hashtag using a capital t and a so that the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any itches based tweets and as well as at dumpty dum i can be found Wenlock House. And I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. So, shall we find out who's won the Twitter medals this week? Hi, Bernadette Hawks here, standing in for a purple pumpkin with the tweets. I had a vaccination today, so I'm feeling a bit rough. So, here are the gongs. In bronze, Miranda at Apple and Android for Josh is a graceless, inconsiderate, unimaginative, inflexible little shite. It's nothing personal, though. And in silver, Ninzy, at Ninzy, judging by the tweet-along for tonight's The Archers, the despair is palpable. The BBC Radio 4 needs to invest in an action line PDQ. This tweet was beautifully illustrated with the Charlie Brown cartoon where a troubled CB approaches a stand offering psychiatric help at five cents. His words are, I think I need help. And finally, in gold position from Bagwaller at Bagwaller, I don't think I've experienced an Anglican harvest supper since I was at school 40 years ago, but I'm trying to imagine Carmen Miranda's hat with a leek and a tin of sweet corn on it. Thank you for that, Bernadette, and congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget, we are also on Instagram at Dumpty Dum where Purple Pumpkin has added a new string to her bow. And we'll both be back again next week with another episode of Dumpty Dum. Well, as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to our social media supremos. The whole Dumpty Dum community is such a cheerful, supportive bunch. Thank you all. And we must say thank you to Shambridge for her voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We are now off to light a load of candles in the barn. So it's au revoir from me. And it's goodbye from me. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.